0: We are so excited to be here in the house of the Lord today. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to continue our study of the shepherds today and Mary. And uh, and so our story picks up where we kind of left off last week was that the angels had come and they had appeared before the shepherds. They had given them this message of a, of a Messiah, a Savior that has been born into the world in the city of David. Uh, and they are told to go, they're told to to to, well, not really to go and to let people know, but they were just told about it. They were told that he was born. And um, and so before they're going, uh, they were going about watching over their flocks by night. They received this message from the angel. Then you have the heavenly host that appear. And there's a worship service that happens right there in that pasture in the night sky. And then as soon as they, the angels had appeared, and now they're gone. So you have these angels, this heavenly host, and this wonderful thing that has happened to these shepherds. And now the shepherd... And the, the angels are gone. So, and so my question, the first thing we're going to look at is, well, now what? Right? So we've had this amazing event, this huge and wonderful thing, but now what? Before we jump into it, though, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Our Lord, I thank you for your word that we could take it and just apply it to our lives. Lord, it's a truth of ancient days, but Lord, it's also a truth that we can apply today. So Lord, I pray that you will help us to take your word this morning to understand it, and apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question is, now what? So let's look at verse 15. Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And the way it's kind of mentioned in the original language is they kept saying it. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go see it, let's go. Let's go see. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And so the first thing that we see in verse 15 is that they go and see. They go and see. Many times uh, when we try to define the things of faith, with the things of God like faith, it's hard, right? It's, it, we, we, tend to, we tend to overcomplicate it. We tend to make it more complicated than it has to be. And so faith is just simply taking God at his word. God's, God said this, I want to trust that that's what he's going to say and what he's going to do. And so the shepherds had just been given a message. The Savior, you can go, you can meet him. He's been born. Here's how you're going to recognize him. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, he's going to be lying in a manger. Here's how you can go and see the Savior that's been born. And so the step of faith for the shepherds was to go to Bethlehem. Verse 16 So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And the step of faith that God requires of us today is not to go and find a baby lying in a manger you know so uh, the faith that we show today is putting our faith in Christ in Ephesians two eight nine 9 says for by grace you've been saved through faith this is not of your own doing it's the gift of God it's not the result of work so that no one can boast right? it's not something that you do it's not an action that you go and do It's not something that you do that you're saved it's placing your faith in Christ It's the step that we take so god offers us forgiveness and salvation as a gift and the step we take is to receive or reject the good news of this gift right this is you guys have heard this illustration before but it's one of my favorites because it's so powerful of of a truth right in your homes many of you will have christmas trees and under the christmas tree is what presents Presents, except at our house well presents are delivered christmas eve night But anyway so that's just us but you most of you have gifts under your tree right and so and then there'll be a gathering of family and you all sit down and you and you uh, you share the Christmas story and you pray and you drag it out as long as possible for the kids right but then finally you start the opening process of the gifts someone will go and pick up a gift and they will bring it over to you and they will say Merry Christmas here's your gift and it's got your name on it right now at that moment what do you do? Someone has hold out a Christmas present for you. You receive the gift or you reject the gift. Drew or dad or whatever, appreciate it, but I'm not really doing the whole gift thing this year. I'm, I'm just here to enjoy being with you. I'm not going to take the present. No, right? You, either, you, you receive the present. You, you, you receive what is in you open it and, you're, and you're joyful that you have the gift. This is what's presented to us with salvation in Christ. Is that he is a gift from God that's been presented to mankind, and you can either receive him or you reject him. But it's a gift, and so the shepherd's step of faith was to go and see this child that was born in a manger. Our step of faith is to receive Christ and His gift of what He's done, or reject it. So, it is it is not good enough just to hear about Jesus, right? So the the shepherds heard about Jesus and they said, "Oh, that's wonderful! How how wonderful!" Uh, that a Savior's been born into the world Well, you can go see him he's you can go meet Jesus he's he's literally one mile away like right over here you could go see him or not but even if Jesus was born a mile away they would have been just as lost had he been born on the other side of the planet if they had not taken a step of faith so the shepherds could have gone and found Jesus and they could have said oh how nice what a what a cute little baby right and you say oh that's just wonderful isn't that nice a baby has been born and not and not get it so this it it, when when I see when I hear the Christmas story it just gives me such warm feelings I'm just so so happy at Christmas time because of family and things but that's not a connection to faith so there so for us to be saved for the step of faith that we take we need to connect Christ being born for this he's the Savior of the world for mankind and we put our faith connected to that we we believe we take God at his word and so the shepherds rejoiced when they were told that a Savior had been born. Right? This promised Messiah that had been for thousands of years promised was now here. And they rejoiced. Not that some baby's been born in a manger, but that the Savior of the world has been born. Their Savior has been born. And so they go and they see. So then the next thing that we see is they go and then tell, verse 17. So. There was something within this group of shepherds that told them that they simply could not go back to the pasture and watch the sheep, right? So they were shepherds, they'd watch the sheep, but they had had this miraculous thing that had happened in their life. They knew they had to tell others the good news. Now when we get to the town, we see that the town was amazed, but we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us how they responded. Did they also go and see Jesus? Uh, did they, what did they do? We don't know, but the town was amazed. We are often commanded in the New Testament to go and tell what we have experienced with Christ. As Jesus was ascending into heaven, uh, he gave the command in Matthew chapter 28, "...go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." What we have seen, what we have experienced through salvation in Christ, we then go and tell and make disciples of other people. But humans, just let's just be honest, we rarely do what we're told, right? We just, that's our nature, we tend to rebel. But if it's within our heart to do something, if we are convinced in our own heart that this is right, then we tend to do it right so the New Testament teaches Jesus teaches go and make disciples how many people actually go and share and make disciples of Christ it's a command we all know it's a command right it's pretty basic Christianity is go therefore and make disciples the Great Commission But how many of us actually do it the question then falls to do we actually believe that this has made an impact in our life and and this is so wonderful of a blessing and a miracle and all these things that has happened within our hearts this idea of salvation we have this, I can't keep this to myself. I, I have to tell somebody else. It's not right for me to have experienced this wonderful thing of being forgiven of all of my sin and then just keep it to myself. I have to go and tell other people about what's happened. I'm, I'm going to be baptized on Sunday. Come see me. I'm going to, I, I pray to receive Christ and this is what's going on in my life. God has made a difference this way. You're just telling your story. I've heard salvation described as one beggar telling another beggar, where the bread is right so we're starving and we somehow stumble across a place where we can get some bread and we're full and then we go back to the street where the other beggars are you're going to tell them where the bread is so they can go get some too same idea And so they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child they knew it was not right for them to keep such a wonder and treasure for themselves they had to go and tell somebody They knew how they felt when they found Jesus, they wanted other people to experience that too. That's the mark, that's what, that's the switch that gets switched in our hearts. We understand who Jesus is, it's a mental thing, right, he's the savior of the world, he's born in a manger, I get all the facts. It makes its way down to the heart where we're like, I am a lost person who God has saved. I'm the beggar just like anybody else. I'm a sinner just like everybody else and now I am saved so then I want to share that with other people it's not right for me to keep this to myself we, when we forget what it was like to be lost that's when we stop sharing. The longer that we're Christians right the longer that we walk with the Lord the further away that time when we realize that we were lost we were we were separated from God for all of eternity that weight that we carried of sin and shame all that's gone right but the longer we walk with the Lord the more we tend to forget what my life once was but here the shepherds don't. Do you remember the story in 2nd Kings? This is, this is in the Bible one of my little favorite little, little passages that you rarely hear talked about but it's in 2nd Kings it's chapter 7 uh, starting in verse 8 God's people were in a city, they had been they had been surrounded by an enemy, and the enemy was you know they, it was a war of attrition, so basically they were going to starve them out. No one comes in, no one comes out, and so you have an entire city of people who are starving. They've they run out of food. Uh, they've started to uh, to turn on each other. Like it's getting it's getting nasty on the inside of the city, and there's these lepers who were there. And they have this conversation between the three of them and they say hey you know what look we got leprosy we're gonna die anyway right this is uh, uh if if we stay here we're gonna die why don't we just try to go over to the other camp we'll just kind of sneak out we'll make our way over there. we'll see what happens we'll just we'll just try it like what do we got to lose we're all starving to death anyway this is where the story picks up and when these lepers came to the edge of the camp so you got this enemy encampment right and they've snuck up and they've made their way to the camp nobody's there nobody's there the entire thousands of tents thousands of of weapons laid out every as though they everyone in the entire camp got up and ran right which is what happened but so but the entire encampment is open look what happens when the lepers came to the edge of the camp they went into a tent and they ate and they drank, and they carried off silver and gold clothing, and and they went, and they hid them, and then they came back, and they entered another tent, and they carried things off from it, and went and hid them, and so the picture is, you got these lepers, they're like running around with all this stuff, right, gold, and blankets and clothes and they're like and they're like just gorging themselves on all this food that's left behind and they're 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 like they're like just sitting there like this is amazing this is incredible all right and they're and they're running they're getting gold and they're going out and they're digging it they're digging holes and they're like I'll come back for that later right and so this went on and on tent after tent after tent you got these leopards and they're like this is some and then something happens in their hearts and their minds right look what happens then they said to one another we are not doing right this day is a day of good news if we are silent and wait until the morning light punishment will overcome us now therefore come let us go and tell the king's household right we've got more food than we could ever eat in a lifetime we've got more drink here than we could ever drink in a lifetime we've got more gold than we could carry off and bury it's not right for us to keep this to ourselves while an entire city of people is starving to death. You say it's not right. They knew it wasn't right. The shepherds had experienced this wonderful thing. The Savior of the world has been, go- has been born into the world, and they say it's not right for us to keep this to ourselves. We've got to go and tell the other city. I want to show you a quick video, really quick. Really quick. This is an this entertainer. entertainer. His name's, name's Jen. Make sure I get it right. Pen. Pen Gillette, right? She's a magician, pen and teller. They have a TV show. He's a outright atheist. I'm just telling you, he's not a believer, right? And so at one of his shows, someone came and presented to him a Bible. And he said, you know, and he was very emotional about it. He got he got really upset about the fact that someone had, had it wasn't given in a judgmental way. It wasn't given in like a, you know, hellfire kind of, you know, it was just, hey, look, this message, this book has meant a lot to me. I want you to have a copy because of what it's meant to be. And it really, it really rocked his world, right? It really kind of, he was like th- really emotional about that. And then he goes to talk about uh, Christians and how if, and that's kind of where this conversation picks up. But this is where I want to show you. So go ahead, sir. Go ahead. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. yet we don't tell them. and and I think that he make the line there that highlights to me is how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them think of the story of Jonah, our men's bible study is finishing up our study of Jonah and and you have this prophet, this person that's supposed to go and tell Nineveh about the message right and so uh, and then he doesn't want to go so he goes in the opposite direction and then, the, and then he gets on the ship and they throw him in the in the ocean and the giant fish swallows him and he goes to the bottom and he has this heart change while he's under the ocean and so he goes, oh okay, fine, I'll go and so then the, 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 the fish throws him up and he goes onto the shore and he makes his way into Nineveh he hates the Ninevites, right? He, he just, you could just tell it, it's all over the book he makes his way into the City, a day's journey into the city. He preaches five words, right? Five words: repent, or God's going to get you. That's kind of the idea, right? Five words. The entire city puts on sackcloth and ashes from the bottom all the way up to top. Probably the biggest revival in the entire book of the Bible, right? Jonah has probably got the biggest revival. Everybody in the entire city of Nineveh, which is hundreds of thousands of people, right? Hundreds of thousands give their life to God and they repent and they turn and where do we find Jonah at the end of the book? do you remember chapter 4? Jonah makes his way out to the top of the hill he overlooks the city and he is mad that God has not destroyed those people they deserve it they're the Ninevites they're supposed to be destroyed and he even says don't, Jonah even says I knew that if I were to go and tell them that, they would, that, you, that you would show compassion on them And so what does that tell us about Jonah? It tells us that Jonah thinks he's God and that he gets to choose who goes to heaven and who doesn't. He puts himself above God. They don't deserve salvation. They don't deserve to know about the one true God. That's us. When we have knowledge of the one true God, we have put our faith in Christ. We have to go and tell right there's just example after example after example in scripture where it says it's not right for you to keep this to yourself also we find Mary that's the shepherds then we find Mary treasuring and pondering verse 19 but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart so another way of saying this is that with the idea of treasured is she kept on keeping together All these things, right? She's thinking, and she's keeping these things together. Mary had just given birth in a very difficult place to deliver a child. Cannot imagine. I am terrified. Every time that Kimberly would give birth, y'all, I was terrified because even though in the modern day, it's incredibly dangerous for a woman to have a baby, and then we had two at one time right that was even more dangerous so every time is incredibly dangerous So you now you take a woman and go back in time we go back 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 back, to where there's this huge mortality rate and so there there she is right the barn is filthy were there clean water were there towels but Mary would have been exhausted from labor she'd been pushing you had the pain that's involved in delivery she would have looked a mess but as she is sitting there with this newborn child she's treasuring up these things it says she's thinking she's lining up details she's remembering all that she has experienced in this whole time and she's also pondering which means placing together for comparison she's comparing all these facts and things and events that have happened in her life she's going over all the details of the angel Gabriel's words and now the shepherds are arriving and soon the Magi would come and, some, and we don't know if the town Peoples may have come or not. We don't know. We're not given that detail. But sometimes God takes us through things that we were, where, where we just, all we could do is just sit there and take it in, right? She's exhausted. Really all she could do is just sit there, and as all these things are transpiring around her, in front of her, she's pondering, she's treasuring, she's thinking. She had just delivered the Savior of the world. He was healthy there weren't any complications animals are nearby Uh, shepherds are right all these things are going on but you know what during all of this time when Mary's sitting there she's holding Jesus nursing her, whatever these people would have started coming right the shepherds are coming the townspeople may have been coming later Magi are coming people were not coming to see her the people were not coming to see Joseph, they were coming to see the savior of the world. I think a lot of times we as Christians get that twisted, right? We think we have to have everything figured out. We think we have to have perfect lives. We think we have to present ourselves in perfect and just as though we make no mistakes, as though there's no sin, as though we 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 have to have that presentation so that people will come to know Jesus. That's not true. Right? Mary was a mess. Joseph was a mess. The life where they find themselves physically was a mess, right? Everything was a mess. Here's the thing. This world is a mess. Your family is a mess, right? Uh, life is a mess. It's a mess. The way that people are saved, when Jesus would come, the way that he would save mankind was a mess. Everything's a mess. It's awful. We don't have to dress up the gospel. It is What it is you just point to Jesus right you put Jesus as first in your life you make him primary you seek him first in the righteousness of heaven and then when then when people come into your life you just point them to Jesus just keep pointing people to Jesus what if Mary had just had people had started to show up and she would have said you know what I'm kind of tired right now can you just come back in a couple of days right or I'm a mess right now I'm going to kind of get freshened up And then you guys could come. You would say, you need to get out of the way. These people are coming to see the Savior of the world. They're not coming to see you. Right? But we tend to get that mixed up. Often we think of Christians, Christians think it's all about us, but it's not. So with all that Mary and Joseph experienced in Jesus' birth, Mary still doesn't understand it all. This is something I want you guys to understand this morning. Mary does not understand it all. She's pondering, she's thinking, she's treasuring, but she doesn't understand it all. Later, we're going to see in Jesus, when Jesus begins his ministry. You remember the wedding that Jesus goes to? He hadn't started his public ministry yet. Mary, uh, when they when the when the couple the married the married couple run out of wine, Mary says to the servants, "Do whatever he says." How about Jesus? Do whatever he says and of course he turns the water into wine That's one of his first miracles Mary knew he was a miracle worker that's why she said do what he says because he probably at some point had already been doing miracles and so she says do what he says but later when he starts his teaching ministry right so he, so he goes off into the wilderness and then he's baptized and then, and then he begins his public ministry and he starts to teach look what happens in Mark 3 And when the family heard it, they heard he's teaching, they heard he's doing these things, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Mary, his own mom, thinks he's crazy. Later, in verse 31, the same book, and his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him, and they called to him. So he's teaching inside this home. They're standing outside. They're like, "Uh, Jesus, you need to come on out here. To us, right? And Jesus says, "No. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. These are my mothers." Right? So he's teaching. He's te- they want him to stop teaching. Mary doesn't understand it. She doesn't understand what it means to be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. She understands the word Savior. She doesn't understand what the word Savior means. Right? Jesus's entire teaching ministry was to show people who he truly was, according to why he came, and all of that kind of stuff. But his own mother doesn't understand. And here's the big idea I want you to get. Being a Christian is a lifelong journey of treasuring and pondering God. It's a lifelong process. For Mary, it started even before Jesus was born with the angel and all of that. And it went all the way through her entire life. Jesus went to the cross. She was there. All of that transpired in front of her. And it wasn't until after his death, burial, and resurrection that Mary could finally go, Oh, I get it. It makes sense now. We see this same word for ponder, like Mary is doing in Genesis chapter 37. This Joseph is telling his brothers, Joseph of Genesis is telling his brothers and his mom and his dad that one day they're going to bow down to him. He's had a dream. I've had a dream. I want to tell you about the dream. And the dad says this He says, and his brothers were jealous of him. Obviously, they're going to get mad at him and they eventually going to throw him in a pit and sell him as a slave. But his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind, right? It kept what Joseph said. He's pondering. He's thinking. He's lining up the details, all that has happened. He's trying to make sense. Mary takes the events, all these experiences, all these things that she's going through in this moment, and she's trying to be faithful and grow in her knowledge of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're growing. You're you're reaching you're trying to figure these things out how many of you have had something in your life happen it makes no sense i don't get it lord i don't understand this this is hard for me to to get my hand around to get my head around I, lord i don't understand it so what it means to be a christian is that you believe and you put your faith in the one true god you believe that he is just and loving and kind and merciful you see his you see the word you see him presented this way and yet life is messy and things happen and you don't understand and you're trying to put the pieces together Solomon has been described as the wisest man that has ever lived right you remember the story of Solomon he's he's about to become king of all of all of God's people and God comes to him in a dream and he says ask for anything that you would like and he could have asked for chariots and riches and all these different things, but he asked for wisdom. So God gives him wisdom as a gift. So you would say, well, obviously he just was just suddenly smart, right? We don't see that. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It says, this is Solomon talking. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man, to be busy with. The most wisest man in the world had to make effort, he had to apply his heart, he had to try he had to search out all these things with Mary, we see a believer who's treasuring and pondering. With the shepherds, we see this overflowing desire for others to see and experience what they have seen and experienced. The Savior of the world. So both reactions are what is a, are a part of worship and what it means to be a follower of Christ. Both of these things. You are pondering, you are treasuring, and you are going and you are telling. God wants us to think and put the pieces together. We do this our entire lives. We will never come close to understanding God and put our faith in action by going outside the walls of the church. You do both. We don't wait until we've got it all figured out. We will never have it all figured out. And it is our knowledge and our personal experience of our Savior that drives us to action. Right? It's what the shepherds experienced that drove them to go to the town. It's you receiving Christ and being saved that drives you to want to serve, to want to do and and please the Lord. It's the knowledge and the experience that drives the action. We are learning and growing as we are going and doing. We are learning and growing as we are going and doing. And some of you are like, I feel like I'm a plateau. I feel like I'm not growing spiritually. Well, are you doing what God has called commanded you to go and do if you're not you're gonna stay there you have hit a spot right so if we want to grow as a Christian we have to be obedient to do what he's called and told us to do if all you do is sit around and learn right? I'm just gonna sit and learn so take it in then you're gonna be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good have you ever heard of that you're just taking it in taking it in taking it in taking it in but if all you do is act right you're just you're just going to be busy but it's not, you're not educating yourself, you're not learning, you're not trying to equip yourself, you're just doing stuff, then you're just ignorance on fire, right? So it's a combination of both. We learn and we grow and we go and we do. It's, and we do those, we do both of those. We see that in this picture of Mary and we see it with the shepherds. A while back there was a, a television show and, and it was, a, um, it was a, talk, a late night talk show, right? And so you've got the host, and then you, his guest was a world record uh, muscle uh, builder, right? So all he had on was like the little bikini thing, and so he comes out, comes out on the stage, and, and, the, and the talk show host comes out to the stage, and they're talking, they're having a conversation, and he kind of points to him, and it's like, what do you use that muscle for right there? And he points to his arm, and, and, the, muscle, and the muscle builder goes like, Bruh. just like these, right? And, then, and so then he points to his like he points to his chest he goes, what do you use that muscle for right there and he goes right there. and so then after the third question he, goes, he kind of points down to his legs like, what do you use that for and he goes like Hoo-rah. and then he, ke- he kept asking him and the muscle builder got really frustrated right you could just see his face he's, got, he's like what are you talking about like wh- why are you making these big muscles like what are you going to do with all these muscles and he's like Just, you see the point. You go to Sunday school, you come to church, you buy a book, you listen to Christian radio. You're building those muscles, but what's the point, right? Why? What's the point? That guy wanted to look good in front of other people. That's why he built those muscles. He wanted to look good, right? Why do you come to church? Why do you do the things that you do? Is it so that you can look good in front of other people? Bra But you don't actually use the muscle for anything. There's no what are you going to use the muscle for. That guy could have been picking up cars, right? He, like he's incredibly strong. What are you doing? What's he doing with the strength that he had? I think it's I think. This story tells us that it's a it's a i'm going to learn i'm going to be equipped i'm going to grow raw i'm lifting the weights and then i'm going to go out and i'm going to work and i'm going to do the work of the gospel i'm going to do what's required of of what god asks me to do i'm going to go and do so then verse 20 they return to worship verse 20 the shepherds returned literally it means go back to work they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which they were just as they had been told. Sunday's over. Worship service is complete. Monday's arrived. It's time to go back to work, right? So these guys go back to work. You know what it does what it doesn't say is how many times they returned. I have a suspicion if I knew where the Savior of the world was and I could go back whenever I wanted to, I would go back. I have a feeling those shepherds and Joseph probably turned to Mary like, they're back, they're back again, they're back again. Like, that would be me, I'd be going there like, you know, hey, it's me, i just, you know, just checking in with Jesus, hey, how's he doing, doing alright? We don't say, but they returned. So, when God pours out his favor upon us and we meet the Savior, we can't help but want to return to meet Jesus again, and again, and again. And worship him because his word is just as he said it would be. God's word is true, and when we discover this, we believe it's all true, and I could go back again and again and again to it. So when the shepherds return to worship the Savior, they glorify, it says they lift him up, they praise him, which is vocally to lift him up, to lift up God with all that they are for all these things they had seen and heard, they had, they had experienced these things. And so why do we return to worship? Why do you come here on Sunday morning? Right? Why do you return week after week, year after year? What's the point? What do you you see and hear, I believe it's also what they saw and heard when we come. We return to worship because of three things I want to give you real quick. Number one, that God desires to draw close to us. We see this again and again in Scripture, especially in the story of Christ's birth. This idea that God wants to draw near to us. God sent an angelic messenger to appear before them. The heavenly host had been dispatched, and they were given this special message to share. All these things are going on with the shepherds, and that God desires a relationship with his creation. So he sent a Savior. Look at Luke 2. Let me read that real quick. Luke chapter 2. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ of the Lord, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God has sent a Savior. What are we going to call him? What what does God want this Jesus to be called? He says, Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? That was prophesied in Isaiah 7 is fulfilled in Matthew 1. John chapter 1, the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt amongst us, close with us. He, He put on a tent, he tabernacled amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God desires to be close to his people. Praise the Lord. He is not a God of far off or distant. He is a God that goes, no, I love my creation and I want to be close to them. And so when we gather for worship, we're reminded of that, is that God desires to draw close to us. And if there is a distance between us, he didn't go anywhere. We're the one that moved, right? We're the one that sinned. We're the one that rebelled. We're the one that's run away. It's us. It's always us. Worship reminds us you could be brought close to him again. Secondly, there is meaning to life. There is meaning to life. Do not miss this, right? The shepherds would return to their profession taking care of the sheep. They were shepherds. This miraculous thing happened, but they went back to being shepherds they would return to the pasture but their lives would be forever changed so yes uh... there were shepherds as before but now they were people whom god has favored with salvation they're shepherds now they're saved shepherds it's a huge difference there we all will find our hands doing something with skill with craftsmanship we may even call it calling but it's hollow without life purpose Without Jesus, and without understanding while you are on this planet, anything that we put our hand to do, no matter how good we may be at it, at the end of the day, we're gonna, it's going to always leave us hollow. So you have this, this shepherds who return to being uh, shepherds, but now they are saved. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When we go to work, and when we go to do the things that we put our hands to do, our activity, all those things, we do it unto the Lord. And so now, whereas being a shepherd where they're going to go out and they're going to make sure the sheep get, get grass and then they're going to lead them over here to make sure they have water and then they're going to go over here to make sure they're going to protect them from the wolves, that was what they would have done before. But now as they're going, they're praising God, they're glorifying Him, they're lifting up His name and so that now life has meaning. It has a purpose, it has a, there's, there's some depth there that was not there before. Life has meaning. With salvation also comes a work for us to do. So, And it might be that God calls you into doing just ministry, but more than likely, you're going to have a job that you do, and that you do unto the Lord, but there's also work set aside for you that God has prepared from the beginning of time for you to do. Look at Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has created us, and he set us apart to do the work that he has prepared for us to do. That is meaning, because you are doing what God has called you and created you to do. As a Christian, we should understand this very fully, because the idea that I have a job to do, I've got to provide for my family or I've got to do these things, that's your job. Like everybody, everybody has to do that. That's part of life. But it loses, it's completely hollow if you're not doing it unto the Lord. And then once we realize I'm saved, then I also can, look, think of Paul as the tent maker, right? So Paul, Paul made tents. His calling in life was not to make tents. He made tents so that he could do what he was called to do. Like, you have a job, the job is going to allow you to be able to do the thing that God's called you to do. You've got to pay the bills, right? Electricity's got to get paid, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, now, I, because I am a Christian, I can now do what God has called me to do and set me apart to do. That's the exciting part. That's the purpose in life that comes. Thirdly, real quick, number three, God presents wonders for us to treasure and ponder. God presents Tre- uh, wonders for us to treasure and ponder. For Mary, and an angel had appeared to her He told her what was going to happen. Then she became pregnant, yet she was a virgin. She had given birth. There were these very special situations. You had the shepherds and eventually you got the magi. God allows all these things to happen in our lives that we should consider, ponder, and treasure. So when you gather in for worship, right? we review what God has done for us. We, we have these things that God does that we are... Able to treasure and ponder. We go through the Bible. All these things are truths for us that we treasure and ponder. You have things that happen in your life. You share your testimony. You share your story about what God's doing in your life with each other, and we're able to to, to treasure and ponder these things. We're not made to be out there all by ourselves trying to just do the best we can. God has made us a church to gather and worship. The story of Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds are just a reminder of that. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you you that you have found favor with us in that we have been saved. Lord, that you have allowed us to understand the gospel. And Lord, because of that, you have given us purpose in life. Lord, you have set us aside to go and tell. And so Lord, help us to be faithful in doing that during this Christmas season. Lord, we thank you for our families and things that we'll be gathering. And so, Lord, we just pray you'll be with those times. Lord, I pray for the person in this room right now who, who doesn't know fully that they have prayed to receive you. Or they don't know 100% that they are a Christian. Another way to think about it is if you were to die today, are you 100% sure that when you appear to heaven, He said, say, why should I let you into heaven? That you would have the right answer. That you would know what to say. The answer is, because I have prayed and received Christ. I've put my faith in Him and what He has done for me on the cross. If you haven't done that, you can say a prayer something like this to yourself. Dear Jesus, I admit to you right now that I'm a sinner. I know that I have done things that displease you. Lord, I pray for forgiveness. Lord, I believe what you did on the cross I believe in what the Bible says. I put my faith in that. I confess you right now as my Lord and my Savior. I pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, also I pray for those believers in this room who you may have laid something on their heart. It could be one of a 10,000 things of what you've just told them to do. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be faithful, to do whatever that is that you've laid on our heart to be obedient to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Greg's going to come